0: Uh, It is a happy new year, I hope, for you. I hope it's been a good start. It's been a great one uh, for our family. No one's sick. Not December like someone was sick every day. So this is a joyous start to the new year. And I have to say, uh, it's so good to be back, not only in Mark, but to be in this text. I mean, we didn't plan it to say, hey, let's make people have a guilt trip on the first weekend of, of January. So let's put this one. It just happens to be where we find ourselves, but I find it to be so helpful uh, I'm hyper-competitive. Confession, maybe you are. To, to me, everything is a competition. I want to one-up you in everything. I got uh, one-upped last week. Uh, I was thinking about the number of frequent flyer miles I have. I, I, I travel a lot. I, I fly a lot, and I have for years, and so I'm a little disappointed because there's tears. You know that. Like, there's first class, and then there's the other people, like, you know, coach where the rest of us live. But also, if you fly a lot, there is silver, at least on Delta, there is gold, there is platinum, and then there's diamond. And usually in platinum, which means you get a lot of free upgrades, it means you get to get on the plane first, it means you get extra baggage. So there are perks, but January 1, it all starts over. You are back to zero, and you have to earn it again. So I was thinking, wow, I've got about 1.2 million miles. And Jim Williams last uh, last week, is like, yeah, um, I've got three million. I'm like, ah, Jim. But he's like almost 70 or something like that, right? So I got a few years. Like I was mapping it out, and I'll beat you by 62. And so I'm just like, I'm on the hyper-competitive side. I got a running watch. Why? Because I want to run faster, and I want to run faster than myself, and then I want to go on my app, and I want to run faster than you. I just, to me, I'm, it's, it's Sunday confessions. You know, I'm a little on the competitive side, and, and in some sense, you may not find yourself like by personality driven that way, but let's be honest. All of us know what it's like to feel like I want to be better than and then just fill in the blank. Whether that if you're a stay-at-home mom and, and you're, you're taking care of your kids and you see someone who seems to be parenting, I want to be a better mom or a better mom than my parents or, or my mom was. We, we have within us this innate sense at times. It's a struggle for others. But for some of you, maybe it's an occasional thing. We want to be better. Now, I'm here to say tonight as we look at this text, but that, that is a gift of God. If you want to be great at something, do not feel bad about it at all. Being Wanting to be great, that is a gift, and God put it within us. But the problem is how you define great. That's the problem. And tonight we want to look at Jesus and his definition of greatness, because wouldn't it be horrible for you to spend the next 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years of your life trying to accumulate greatness only to find out you were aimed in the wrong direction, you were climbing the wrong ladder. You were trying to conquer the wrong thing. And I don't want to be there, uh, and you don't want to be there. So what does Jesus have to say about greatness? Because what is it? And then tonight we also want to look at is how you get there. How can you become great? And I think it's Jesus' will for you that you would be. Everyone and anyone would be great. Greater this year than last year. But you got to get it defined Right, and now, and Jesus does this. Look at back at verse 30. They left that place, passed through Galilee. Jesus didn't want anyone to know where they were. So tonight, the context. If you're here and you're checking out church, you're not yet a follower of Jesus, you're thinking about this, I want you to know that what Jesus has to say may not be for you yet. What he's saying here was not to the crowd. Notice, the original audience is just the twelve. It's those who walked the path of Jesus, who gave up everything to follow him. And and he loved these men, and he loved these women, and he loved this community, and he wanted them to excel. He knew he was going to the cross. How do we know that? He says, the Son of Man is gonna be delivered into the hands of men. It's the second time he's predicted that he is about to go towards the cross, they're moving towards Jerusalem, and he wants his closest friends to know What's ahead? It's going to be a year of suffering. Now, do you know what 2014 has in store for you? Uh, The answer is no. None of us know. Uh, But let me just remind you Jesus does. This is the encouraging word. As we gather, it could be that Jesus in his goodness would want to let us in on what he is about to do because that's what he does with his close intimates, his followers. And he says, suffering's about uh, to happen. They will kill him, middle of verse 31, and after three days, he will rise. And And so the disciples at this point, once again, are confused, even though he said it before. It says, verse 32, they didn't understand what he meant, and they were afraid to talk to him about it. This is just a great reminder. When we think about what it means to be great or what it means to really know what life is all about, uh, let's remember Jesus knows what life is all about because he's the author of of life. And let's also remind ourselves, especially if you've been going to church 5, 10, 20 years, and you know a bit of the Bible, and you study, and you pray, that just because we do these things does not mean we're attuned to what God is doing in our world right now. Just because we're here tonight does not mean we're attuned to what He wants to do in my soul. How do I know that? The closest followers are the ones that don't know what's going on. As a matter of fact, it says they did not understand what he meant. Now that could be translated, they were ignorant or the meaning escaped them. It's the only time Mark uses this phrase about any group. They were clueless to the meaning of what Jesus is saying. And who does Mark say this is about? It's about Jesus' closest. So even though we, if you're a follower of Jesus, are a part of his family, we could be like Mark is saying of the closest people, We could still be off. Now, you need to know that Jesus, in preparing himself to go to the cross, knows the mission that's before these followers. He knows what's in store, just like he knows what's in store for you. And you need to remind yourself, and I hope to remind you tonight, that Jesus knows one, two, three, four, five steps ahead. He knows what's going to happen in February. He sees it all. He knows it all. And, And he wants to, because he loves us, prepare us prepare us to meet this year's challenges, prepare us to enjoy this year's accolades and this year's achievements. Jesus wants his best for us, so what does he do? He gets to the root cause of our being off. And tonight, we obviously see that disciples don't get it, and maybe you don't get it. Uh, You don't understand. So what happens? Verse 33, they came to Capernaum And while he was in a house, could have been Peter's house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? Now, this is the signs of being off. But they were what? What does your Bible say? Like you're right now. What does it say? They were quiet. Yeah, thank you very much. They were quiet. Why? Because on the way, they had argued about who was the greatest. Busted. Don't you just love it? I think that God when when a woman becomes pregnant and her whole body changes, I think, this is not in the Bible, this is my own you know, opinion about it, but I think I'm 99% right, that God gives women this innate sense of when their kids are doing something foolish. I think that, uh, that every mom, dads, we get it in small parts, but I think moms know like, what are you up to? No, I mean, growing up, my mom, she, just intu- she didn't have to be in the room. She knew when we were off, not 100% of the time, but she had that little bit of a sense. Jesus here, now I don't know if any of that's true, but I do know that Jesus does know what's going on because he asked them what they're talking about. They're quiet because they've been arguing about who was the greatest. Now, now you may be saying, why were they talking about that? Jesus, they are clued in. Remember, looking back, Peter said, you're the what? You're the Messiah. You're the sent one. And every single one of them expected that the Messiah, God sent one, was going to conquer, was going to rule, and was going to reign. And if you think about it, if you're into politics or if you're studying government or politics, if you throw all your weight into a candidate and you find some no-name candidate and serving some district and you pour all your energy into their campaign— and you spend months and months and months ringing the phone and sending out emails and texts and raising money and trying to get your uh, candidate elected, the closer you get to the election, you, in your mind, if you're on their campaign, you're part of their team, you are thinking, what is in it for me? Because if they get elected, you're assuming, as part of the crew, you've put in some hard work, you've been with them, that you're gonna get a, a spot, you're gonna get a job, you're gonna get a position. At least you hope so. And in the same way, what they think is about to happen is Jesus is going to reveal. He revealed it to his 12. Now he's going to reveal to the world that he's the Messiah. So they want to know, okay, there's 12 of them. Who's number two, right? If Jesus is going to rule, who's going to be his vice president? And then who's going to fill his cabinet? And they're, they're jockeying for position. But what does Jesus do? Notice he doesn't rebuke them in an overt way. He just exposes their heart. And tonight, I hope you leave here elated. I hope you leave here encouraged. I hope hope you leave here feeling a sense of hope that even though you've had a little bit of growth in who Jesus is and is calling on your life, that this year there are greater things for you. God has greater things in store for you. But in order for you to receive them, And interact with them, he's going to need to expose the things that are unlike him. Verse 35, sitting down. Now in first century, that is the position of the rabbi, of the teacher. So Mark is not just saying Jesus was tired. He's like, now the teacher is seated. He calls the 12 to him, like the rabbi, to the disciple, and he says this famous line. Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. I believe in you guys. I love you guys. I think great things are in store for you guys. You have no idea what God is about to do when when, when Jesus sends the Holy Spirit, how God's gonna revolutionize their world. These 12 are talked about. You gotta think about this. 2,000 years later, there are more than a billion people following in the footsteps of these 12 original followers. More than a billion I mean, you think if you start a company, you would hope that post your lifetime someone will remember your your little moniker, your little logo, your little name, and, and maybe a hundred years, but two thousand years. There was greatness in store for the 12, but the problem is they didn't understand what greatness meant to Jesus. And 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 he's like, I love this about you, but there is a problem. Anyone who wants to be first must be the last and the servant of all. So now, what is greatness according to Jesus? Now, greatness to Jesus is humble service for the humble. Some of us think this is, this is, this is complicated. This is, greatness is, is a big philosophical term. It actually isn't. Greatness according to Jesus is humble service for the humble. And tonight, uh, whether you're a mechanic or whether you're an accountant, whether you're a stay-at-home mom or a student, whether you're retiring or you're just getting started in your career, you are called by Jesus, if you're one of his followers, to be great. The 12 were called by Jesus to be great. But you got to know that greatness to Jesus is in direct opposition with our culture's understanding of what it means to be someone. What's, what's the word sermon? Because Jesus says, Greatness is humble, service for the humble. I'll explain the back end because it seems like it's the same thing. It's actually not. What is my responsibility? It is to humbly serve. The word is diakonos, the word for service. It is the word that which we get the word deacon. And and, uh, in the first century, uh, a deacon or someone who was a servant was simply an assistant. This is so good. You wanna be great, do not go for the head coach job Go for assistant coach. You want to be great. Do not go for the top position. Go for the assistant to the top position. Does that sound like the American dream? Okay, for two. (laughs) But for most of us, to achieve is to become the head and whatever the position is to reach the top. And Jesus is saying, Greatness, according to my vision of it, which Jesus is just doing the will of the Father. You want to know what the Creator thinks is great? It is when men and women and kids pick up that God loves humble people doing humble things for people who are already in humble positions, and you need all three. It's that you and I would see ourselves not as superstars or superstars in the making, even though you have talent, even though you have gifts, even though you have abilities, that you and I wouldn't get caught up in who we think we are, but rather we would take the servant position. Uh, uh, someone who's a servant, diakonos, is in our modern day a busboy. There's a better term for it, but in my mind, that's what I was thinking. The, the person who's not the waiter or a waitress, what do you call them in the restaurant industry? A bus? Okay, it just sounds super demeaning. And if that's your position, I think that is a beautiful position because that is the position that Jesus says is greatest. The person who is willing to pick up the dishes after someone else enjoyed the meal. That is great in the eyes of Jesus. The person who is willing to eat later on because I care for other people first. That is the great. Now, when you hear that, something within you says, theoretically, Jose, that sounds that, that, like that should be Christian, but that just doesn't sound right. It's because you've got to remember, we are fish all swimming in a fishbowl called the American culture, and fish do not realize they are swimming. That's the deep thought of the year. It's the bow tie. I know it's the bow tie. (laughs) Fish swim. They're in water. They don't realize. They are just navigating their their own world, so they're not thinking about the water. They are in the water, just like you and I are breathing, and we're not thinking about the air. We just breathe, and our culture is so pent up on self-glorification, self-positioning. And and if you and I are going to get ahead, we're going to have to push our way and fight our way. And anyone going to business school would tell you that the people who are nice end up last. But the problem is everyone with an MBA who is not a follower of Jesus does not know the secret to real joy in life. And real joy in life, my friends, is when you follow your life in the pattern of the creator of the universe. And the creator of the universe did not come to be served, but to serve and to give away his life as a ransom for many. Jesus was a diakonos. Jesus was a servant. And so I think it's so good at the beginning of the year that we get to think about what it means to be a great husband, what it means to be a great student, what it means. He needs to be a great parent, a great employer, a great employee, a great neighbor. Jesus has great things for us, except we need to see it as he does. So what does Jesus do? He uses visuals. I love it. Verse 36. He takes a little child, and he placed him among them, and taking the child in his arms, he said to them, whoever welcomes one of this, these little children in my name welcomes me. Whoever welcomes me doesn't welcome me. But listen, he goes all the way to say, welcomes the one who sent me, the Father. You want to please the Father? Then do what I've been doing. And, and, and to take a child and to bring them in is to welcome me, says Jesus, not just me, the one who sent me. Now here's where there is a cultural difference. We read it and think, oh, isn't that great? Don't you think kids are great? I am pro-kids. I love children. I think there's great potential in every young one. I think everyone who invests their life in educating children should get a, a, not just a raise, it should double their salary and we should find a way to pay for it because there's no greater honor that we have as a culture and then to honor people who build into our kids. And if you don't agree, move to Canada. And I'm just throwing it out there or whatever because we, we undervalue people who, who pour into kids. But here's the thing. There's a total difference between the worldview of children in the first century and our day. We have as a culture... We, we enamor kids, and we kind of puff them up. We give them stickers for, for breathing. Like, you know, oh, you breathe well. Here's a sticker. Like, you know, my, my daughter, she gets in Taekwondo because she's small, and she's going to beat guys up someday. And, and I'm not kidding. We got her in Taekwondo because she's tiny. And she's going to, you, you try to get close to her, she's going to chop you down. And so she's in Taekwondo. But here's the funny thing about Taekwondo. Um, there's belts that you earn. But when you go to class, you get on your belt at the end of class. You get a, a black piece of tape. It's just like, I don't know, just... Tape, you know, and you go, and all the kids at the end, it's, it's hysterical. At the end of class, they run to Master Marius and they stand there, and he's all oh, very good. And for showing up, you get a black tape around your belt. You get 10 belts or ar- uh, black tapes around your belt, then you get it watch this you get a star. Now, this isn't just like a star sticker, you get a star to put on your gi. It's like a permanent stick on. Now, this has nothing to do with Korean taekwondo, but you know what it is? It's marketing right? You come 10 times. That means I pay 10 times. You get a visa, Dave. You get a star. You know, like it's, it's, it's like the, the, the toys they put in a whatever value kid's meal. They're, they're, they're sucking you in. But it's so funny, the system of rewards. We reward and reward and reward because greatness to us is getting more and being more and doing more. And that is absolutely opposed with the worldview of adults and children in the first century. Children were just above slaves. Children had very little rights. Children had no value in the culture. Children were not seen as brilliant in the making. They were seen as ignorant and in need of instruction and guidance and when appropriate to be down. First century life looked down on kids. So this is crazy. Jesus says you want to be great, We look at it and say, oh, bring the kids. Of course, invest in the kids. We believe in the next generation. Jesus is not saying that in this case. He is saying, look at this little weak one. Look at this one that nobody values. Look at this person that's not a a full adult yet, and they're at the back of the line because they're a kid. Bring them close. Love them. The least person in society. If you find the least and lowly and you build them up and you bring them in and you love them like I love them, my friend, you are great. Now in our culture, we want to do great, even you know, if we want to serve, well, you we want to serve people who can help elevate our status. Would you agree? Like if I'm gonna serve, I don't wanna serve the lowly of the low of the low. I wanna serve someone. Who can like? Yeah, you know, it's like go go back to the airline thing. I love to fly, and I love when you get bumped up to first class. I've never paid for a first class ticket, but there's there's nothing better. And when when you sat in coach, you're like, eh, you know, eh, and paper and uh, it's uh, you know, and then you and then they put you to the place with the poofy seat. And then when the meal comes, you get, we don't do linen tablecloths in our house, but they, they drape a little linen, you know, and you have like a real glass and real silverware, like even a knife, you could stab someone, like you have, you have all, and, and you're there, and, it, and, and it's, you're not like seat number 32E, which is like a middle seat and from hell, We're, no, no, you're, you're, you're like Mr. Zayas, so they know you by name, first class. It's Mr. Zias, would you like another drink? Well, I certainly would, thank you very much. And I even want to stick my pinky out. Like, I just, I want, you know, I want to do that. And, and I want to be elevated. I want to be with people who paid for first class. Now, partly I want to snub them, like, I got here for free. But, you know, but I want to be where the executives are. I, I don't want to be in coach. I'm just going to be honest. But Jesus is saying, Greatness in my kingdom is not about doing stuff that's gonna get you elevated to a higher class. It is about your willingness to make yourself low because God has made you and God has made them and you find value in people no matter where the culture values them. What would it look like for us to really see people like Jesus sees them? And really, that's the invitation to greatness. It's to have our eyes opened to people as God seize them. What am I saying? I'm saying that every single person matters. Greatness, according to Jesus, is about humble service for the humble. Now Jesus is saying, not only does every person matter, but he says greatness in his kingdom is the servant of all. And that's the big catchword. It's not just about serving those who are gonna elevate me. It's not just about befriending those who could pay me back later on and, oh, I see goodness in you. If I invest in you, don't forget the little people when you rise. It is about finding those who may never pay you back and never uh, return the favor, but in love and care out of the goodness and overflowing of all that God has done in your world, saying you matter, and because you matter to God, you matter to me. What would it look like to live as a community that really believed that and chose to go that way. Now, I, 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 I realize right now I sound like so theoretical. Like, that can't be. There's no way that a whole community can live that way. Really? The cultural pull is so strong. That's why I think it's so beautiful. At the beginning of the year, as you're thinking about all you would want God to do, more than the stuff, I, I'm a list person, so I, I'm already starting to make my goals for the year, and I shoot high. Like, I want to achieve. It's, it's, in, it's good at times, and it's horrible if you're married to me. And, and, and because I'm, I want to push. I want to, you know, I ran this much last year. Ooh, I, I can I double that without busting my knees? I don't know. You know, like maybe I can go 50% more. I'm, just, I'm bent that way. But the bad side of that is I could be driven about the wrong things. I can invest all my energy on things that don't really matter to people and to Jesus. Now, now look at what Jesus says next because the, these, these two stories interplay on each other. Anyone who wants to be great in my kingdom must first be the last and must be the servant of all. Jump down to verse 38. Teacher said, John, this is, this is how you know where the disciples are and maybe this is where we find ourselves and Jesus offers help. Teacher said, John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we told him to stop because, and I love his line, he was not one of us. Doesn't that just sound very Christian? You know, like, the nerve of you casting, this person's plagued with a demon, but you're not one of the 12. What right do you have to help this person? You, do you see what's happening? Most of the time they say to the disciples, here Mark actually gives the name. How would you like your name to be written there? John said, someone's driving out demons. He's not one of us. And I love Jesus' answer. Do not stop him, Jesus said, for no one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. You gotta remember, all throughout Jesus' life, you had people who were supposed religious leaders trying to stop Jesus' love in action. Jesus is trying to heal the broken. He's trying to feed the poor. He is trying to bring hope to the hopeless. And it's the religious leaders, the so called Christians, so to speak, who are saying he's off and he's wrong and he's a false teacher and he doesn't speak the truth. And now John finds someone who, in humility, is trying to do what Jesus is doing. And and John's rationale is that he is not one of the 12. Here's the irony just earlier in the passage, the disciples had met a child who had a deaf and mute spirit and they couldn't cast it out, remember? Do you remember the story? Mark just told us about the disciples' inability to cast the demon out. Well, here's the funny thing. This guy's actually casting out the demon. Do you see how a little bit of jealousy and envy? Now, when we're talking about greatness, now, it's humble service for the humble. It's about doing the small things the humble, the lowly things for those who have no esteem or aren't great or like a child or whatever. But in order for us to live that way, we have to recognize that we have the issue of pride in our own life. And the 12 disciples, they were wrestling with it and Jesus hadn't even gone to the cross yet. And as a follower of Jesus uh, and as a human, we're all gonna have to wrestle with the continual uh, sense and sin of pride. This guy's not one of us. He's not part of the team. Therefore, he shouldn't be doing it. And Jesus has a broader view of people who who will work with him. Don't stop him. If he's doing work in my name, he's not going to say anything bad. If he's not against me, he's for me. Truly, I tell you, anyone who gives a cup of water in my name, because you belong to the Messiah, you will certainly not lose your reward. Uh, John, disciples, it's not about what team you're on. It's not about the experience that you have. Can't you just see yourself in there? I mean, now, maybe this isn't you, but I have to watch myself all the time because I would love for us to be a great church. I'm not interested in a mediocre church, I'm not interested in a whole hum community. I would love that if anyone does read, and that everyone doesn't talk to Siri a hundred years from now, if everyone actually looks at pieces of paper and print and reads, that they would read back in Hillsboro and on the Sunset Corridor, there was a group of people that were nobody by name, but that God did something in the years that we're alive that when they look back, they have to say, wow, either there was a secret sauce and it didn't tell us, or this was a work of God. I, I so long and pray and dream and I'm willing to work to see a move of God that this community, this neighborhood, this state, this country, this world has never seen. I really believe it's possible. I believe that God wants to do it. I believe he wants to use all of us. The bad side of that is there is a tendency to say in order for us to go up, someone else must come down. Like, you know, I I want to be great, but the problem is I want to be greater than you. In order for me to be great, right, I, I must. St- so, in order, I want us to be a big community where thousands of people are, are coming to faith in Jesus. And, and if I'm not careful, I could, I could run into the trap and say, well, well, it's all about us. It's all about our community. It's all about what God wants to do in our family. And I could miss the fact that Jesus is broadening out the team here. He's like anyone who gives. A cup of water in my name will not lose the reward. Anyone. And so in order to be great, in order to live a life where we humbly serve those who may never be able to serve us back, it's going to require God dealing with my heart and dealing with my pride. The beautiful thing about greatness according to Jesus is that you don't have to do a lot to be great. The disciples had done a lot. They had been with Jesus the longest. They had seen most of the miracles. They heard his teachings. They could quote his words verbatim. They could give Jesus' sermons for him. And some of us fall into the trap of thinking greatness is about how much you have, how much you know, how much you do. It's about achievement, achievement, achievement. You could be 13 years old in this community and be the greatest. Perhaps you could have the least amount of education, know little about the scripture. According to Jesus, you can be the greatest. Why? Because he uses the smallest example of the poorest of poor. The poorest of poor could go to a well and get water. They could get water. So according to Jesus, you want to live a life that's great. If you are so poor, all you can offer to Messiah, to his followers, to God, is going to the well and getting some water, not just for yourself, but getting enough in your little vessel and finding someone who's thirsty and giving to them in Jesus' name. If you can do that, according to Jesus, you are anyone that is great. And so the beauty is, according to Jesus, all of us are candidates for greatness and all of us can achieve greatness if we humble ourselves. And so messages like this, are easier to talk about and harder to live out. So all week long, it was a week of confession. I found my own confessional booth. I made it, put a curtain, got on both sides of it, and talked to myself about all my. No, I didn't do that. I didn't do that. But I did have to wrestle with my perpetual need to elevate myself. God has been good to me, though. And I was looking back at my life and how God has put me in positions to force me to think about the beauty of service. I was in university studying to teach the Bible. And I remember I had, uh, I had college work-study, part of my like, financial aid package, and I had a, a, a cool job, and then I took a semester off, and then I didn't have a, such a cool job, but what was offered to me was the honor of cleaning uh, the toilets in the main, like, uh, the main educational building where most of the classes were. I got to at five o'clock when most of the classes started coming to an end. I was the evening janitor, and I got to clean uh, the bathrooms. I got the joyous privilege of making like less than minimum wage to pay for my education and cleaning the toilets. And I remember at first thinking, there's got to be someone else more qualified (laughs) for this position. I just know, I'm I'm working outside of my gifting and, you know, and and Lord, I want everyone to grow in the kingdom. I want everyone to be great. Someone must be better. And, you know, you realize every day that the toilet bowl stinks. It smells. nothing glorious about it. But, you know, I did that for about a year and it was Beautiful, because it became for me a forceful act of worship. I was forced to look at my circumstances and every time I had to do that little shift, am I gonna worship and thank God that I am in university, that I'm getting an education, that I am preparing myself for a life of service if I can't clean the toilet for my fellow students and faculty? What right do I have to think that I could ever lead a community? Now, I would love to say at the end of university, I figured it out. I got a PhD in toiletology and I'm done. But God in his goodness has to continue to bring me back. And in various ways, he continues to chip and work in my heart. I want to be be a part of something that is great. And here is where Jesus ends. And you need to hear this. Greatness is rewarded. If you choose to go the road of greatness, if you choose to live the great life according to Jesus, not according to our cultural standards, but according to Jesus, which is humbly serving the the powerful, sure, if God gives that opportunity, but the weak, the lowly, the nobody, if you choose to go the road of Jesus, then that is great, and greatness is rewarded. Verse 41, anyone who gives a cup of water in my name because you belong to Messiah will certainly not lose their reward. So this isn't just like Jesus is a downer on all things good. If you have the drive to excel, if you have the drive to do well, that's to be applauded. There's nothing great about being a slacker. So don't twist Jesus' word and say, you know, the way of Jesus is chill. No, it's not chill. It's hard work and service for those who have less. It is hard work and service for those who can't pay back. It is done out of an overabundant heart of love and gratitude. When we live this way, my friends, let me tell you, people, number one, will realize that the way of Jesus is different. And number two, they will realize that the life that is truly life is in service. As Jesus comes to give his life as a ransom for many, but in the end of the story, Jesus is now the exalted one. So Jesus does go to the cross, right? And he doesn't have to, but he lays down his life. The Bible is very clear. He didn't have to die. He laid down his life like a servant to rescue us. He did it for our good, and some of us would reject him, and he still did it, even though he knew he could never pay it back. And now Jesus is considered great, and so he's exalted, and now he's seen as the king of the universe and the Lord of all, and for many of you here tonight, he's your Lord. He's your master, he's your teacher. So when you go the road of greatness, it doesn't mean that you're always lowly and and no one sees you. It does mean that at the right time, God brings great reward. Now I think reward, I immediately think a first-class upgrade. And that's not what Jesus is saying. What, what Jesus is saying is that at the right time, he will say to you, well done. And in, in the life to come, in the age to come, we do, do know, those of us who study the scriptures, we know that there is work, glorious opportunity awaiting those who have been faithful and humble and serving now. So not only is there a reward in this life, but let me tell you, my friend, there is great reward in the life to come. And the reward is more glorious work and more things to do in Jesus' name. And so if you're driven like me and you want to do more, I hang on to the promise that if I'm faithful to love the least, then maybe at the right time, Jesus will say, well, there's more people for you to serve. So to be a great church, hear me, does not mean that we'll be the biggest church, although I think everyone ought to be saved. And so if thousands and thousands and thousands of people come and we plant dozens of churches and send people around the world, great. But a great church does not mean the biggest church. A great church does not mean the wealthiest church. A great church does not mean the most hip, influential church. It doesn't mean, those things are not Jesus' value on greatness. Greatness is when you and I do what Jesus would have us do without anyone having to tell you to do it. When we go out and live this life, Because Jesus has so enamored us and has so motivated us and so challenged us that we want to live for the good of others. When we all live that way, then we will be a great church. And I pray that we will move in great strides towards that end this year. What is it gonna take? It's gonna take a move of the Holy Spirit because my pride is so thick and my perpetual Self-gratification is so real. I need the Spirit of God. I don't know about you. I don't need an accountability partner. That's nice. I need God's holy hammer to smash me in the head from time to time in love, but with blunt brute force and to say to me, Jose, that is not like Jesus. Why would you live in a way that's not like Jesus? So tonight we want to invite the Holy Spirit to work in our souls. Two things I invite you and write them down, please. Make it your prayer this night, this week, this month, this year. Holy Spirit of God, invite Him. I dare you. That was a challenge. We are driven people like, oh, I'll do it now. I got to dare. Search my heart. Just ask the Holy Spirit. Search my heart. Do an inventory. If you ask God by His Spirit to do an inventory on your soul, you know what He will do? An inventory. And you may find things that you enjoy, but if you're like me, you're gonna find some things that are not like Jesus. And that is okay. That is not a downer. That is growth. That's good. We need that. The second thing is Holy Spirit of God, show me where to start. So this week, I've just been praying that, and the Lord made very clear to me a few specific things that I need to do to begin to walk the way of humility Sort of the way of pride. And so God's working on me, and I love it. So this has been not a somber week. It's been a glorious week because as my sin is exposed and I confess that and repent to Jesus, there's life, there's hope, there's joy. And I pray the same for you. Uh, I'm going to invite John to come, and and, and we just want to pray this in. And so tonight, I don't know where you're at with Jesus. If you're not yet a follower, tonight's a great night. In a few moments, uh, we're going to respond and worship. We're gonna go to the Lord's table in a bit and we're gonna celebrate the body and the blood, the, the the sacrifice of Jesus for our sin, to pay our debt. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus, you can right now, tonight. You can invite him to come and clean your mess in full and replace sin with a new heart. And with a new heart comes new desires and new wants, new longings. And Jesus can make your whole life new. And he could do it tonight. I prayed tonight, that you would come to faith in Jesus or that you would return to faith in Jesus. Maybe you started a long time ago, but you've just been waffling. It's the first Sunday of the year. It would be great if all of us said, this year, Lord Jesus, I want you to have all of me. But the second thing is we want to think about things that God might want us to get involved in this year. And so as we pray that God, invite him, ask him, Lord, where do you want me to start? I pray that even now, even now, as you ask, that God would make some very specific things clear to you. It may be talking to that neighbor. It may be volunteering for that thing that you've been resisting. It may be saying no to the good things that you're involved in right now because God is something that's better. It may not look good on your resume, but that activity that you let go of to make room for other things that no one else will see, that may be great in God's kingdom. It may pay less, but that's great in God's kingdom. It it may be seen by fewer people. It may make you feel no better, but that's great. If Jesus is saying, do it, I invite you to say yes to it tonight.